Marking a special 100th anniversary of papal writing and teaching about St. Joseph, Pope John Paul II wrote and issued a compelling document in 1989 called Guardian of the Redeemer, saying he hoped all Christian people not only will turn to St. Joseph with greater fervor and invoke his patronage with trust, but also will always keep before their eyes his humble, mature way of serving and of taking part in the plan of salvation. How well, though, do even Christians, to to most Christians, even know St. Joseph? He's in the Bible, but it doesn't record a single word he said. But we can learn a lot from him at this moment in time, and we need to. I'm Sheila Lagminas. You're in the Forum. Over many years, many books have been written about St. Joseph, but it hasn't seemed to have built up a significant understanding of him, nor a strong foundation for advanced studies, or, conversely, a more widespread embrace of him in people's daily prayers for intercession facing difficulties in life. And there's more of that these days for more people who need strong, calm, peaceful, trusting, and loving guidance and sensibility. Here to help us with all of this is Father Boniface Hicks. He's monk of St. Vincent Archabbey, spiritual director of St. Vincent Seminary, manager and host of We Are One Body Radio, and author of the new book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. Father Boniface, thank you for taking the time to be here. So good to be with you, Sheila. Thank you for having me on. Father, of all these saints, many of us have uh, long had a devotion to, and then we build that up over the years, right? The, the, the longer your life goes on, the more saints you, you have in your litany, maybe, the, your daily prayers go to a whole litany of saints you've chosen for different reasons. Long time ago, long, long, long time ago, um, it was after visiting, I think after visiting the oratory in Montreal, and I really felt the presence of St. Joseph there. And I didn't want to just jump on that right away and ask them to be, you know, my patron or my family's patron. I gave it time thinking, you know, I really need to pray about this. I feel it, but I need to pray about this. Oh, in spades, did I get answered? So I've long had a devotion to St. Joseph. I asked him to be our family patron. He's done that. We traveled to Avila, Father, in many, many, many years mm. ago in, in the convent of St. Teresa of Avila. Um, mm. I loved her devotion to him. She had the St. Joseph the Tattletale statue. We can talk <laughs> about his many titles, but she had such, because he, he spoke to her. He told her what went on at the convent when she was away. Uh, it was great. But you know, you've said this yourself, it, in, I think in the introduction to the book, in the book, that there are wonderful efforts out there. Father Donald Calloway's Consecration of St. Joseph. There are so many great books. There are so many great efforts. There are things, papal writings. This is the year of St. Joseph. We'll get to that in a moment. But you say, in spite of all this, it seems there is still much mystery and even confusion that surrounds St. Joseph in the Christian imagination. Talk about that for a moment. It's not just the Catholic Church. It's the whole Christian imagination. Why still so much mystery? I think it speaks to St. Joseph himself. He is a, is a bit of a, a mysterious character because part of his role is to hide things. In contrast to the apostles who are meant to receive the revelation, the word of God made flesh, Jesus Christ, they came to know him and their whole goal was to share him, to proclaim him, to shout him on, from the mountaintops and spread him to the ends of the earth. But St. Joseph's role, his mission from God was to hide him 
was mm. to keep him hidden and safe, to form him until the time was right that he would go forth and begin his public ministry. And so it's part of the character of St. Joseph to, to hide things in the best way, the, the, the way that we hide treasures and the way that we are called to be hidden by Jesus himself. And the gospel that we always hear on Ash Wednesday, he tells us to, to hide our prayer and hide our penance and hide our good works. And this is the way that St. Joseph hid the treasure of the word made flesh of Jesus Christ the, the treasure that was already hidden from all ages in the bosom of the Father and brought forth in time, first entrusted to Our Lady and then to St. Joseph, who kept both Mary and Jesus hidden for those uh, many decades until Jesus was called forth to proclaim his, his ministry to suffer and die for us. But I think that's part of the, the thing. And so St. Joseph in humility has been, I don't know, uh, misunderstood and and. I would say variously presented throughout the centuries. And I think there's some truth in all of it as well. You know, he doesn't, I think uh, God is in charge of those things well enough to uh, not let really crazy things be, be said, but, but there's this hidden mysterious quality that, that now is breaking forth in a new way. I mean, just in the last century and a half, every Pope has written something significant about St. Joseph. Before that, there was no Pope that wrote anything about St. Joseph. So we're really breaking forth this year of St. Joseph and, and so many good works like the consecration that, that Father Calloway wrote. And so I think he's starting to step forward in a time that we need him in a, in a special way. When you talk about the hiddenness of St. Joseph, that's in your book, uh, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, Chapter 4, Hidden with St. Joseph. So to be hidden with him. And the, the sections in there are you, a master of the darkness, hope in the night, a lantern in the night, following a star. That, that's, that's important. I mean, so for so many people in our modern culture who want to be just the opposite, out there, you know, front and center, ever present on social media, just out there and seeing and heard and so on. It's a special thing to want that hiddenness. Talk a little bit more. You're such a great spiritual director. Talk a little bit more about what this hiddenness means. Not, you know, escaping from the culture and not engaging it, uh, but what it, it means what to be, to want to be hidden with St. Joseph. Well, first of all, it's it's not that uh, being in the public eye, we're obviously having this <laughs> interview that will be put out there. And, uh, it's not that that's bad and and hiddenness is good, or but it's it's about playing our role in the in the mystery. And as I said, there's a role for the apostles, but there's also a role for Saint Joseph. There's a role for uh, somebody who's who's sort of out there in the in the public square, and there's a role for a a, a housewife, a humble worker. A, a man at home, a woman at home, you know, there's a, all, we, we have all of these different roles and there isn't one just because it's more popular or more important in the eyes of the world doesn't make it more important in the eyes of God. And I think that's a really important lesson to take from St. Joseph. He was the holiest man who ever lived. And most of us didn't know who he was for the, you know, first really 1900 years of the church. I mean, he was not only hidden for his lifetime, but he remained hidden after his death in so many ways. And so it shows us that there's, there's something holy in ordinariness that's worth taking note of. And then as uh, the titles that you read off from chapter four indicate, uh, his whole, uh, all that we receive from him in scripture 
is is in the darkness. We keep encountering him in the night. He's having dreams. He's finding, trying to find a room in the inn in Bethlehem, you know, a place to sleep. The, the shepherds are coming by night to proclaim the, the, the Magi are following a star. So it must be at night where he's leaving by night to go to Egypt. <laughs> he's like, his whole life is lived in the night, it seems, according to scripture. But that's a real encouragement for us because the night the night tends to be scary for us, and the night is sometimes a cloak for for evil. Uh, the darkness is a, a covering for for uh, men and women doing evil things. But but Saint Joseph brings a light into the night. He finds God in the night, and he can step into those places of of darkness and confusion because there's a kind of hiddenness that we suffer from these days too. That's a, a kind of isolation. And St. Joseph is able to really step into that and bring companionship and help us to find God in the center of that. And then he teaches us that, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of the greatest treasures are things that we need to cultivate in silence. We don't need to publish everything on our Facebook page. We really don't need to give every detail of our lives to uh, the entire world. There are things that we can cherish, that we can share in intimate friendships, things that remain hidden even just between us and God, which can be some of the most precious parts of our life. Well, and you help, the, you help people do that in your book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. I dearly love it. And I would love to have more continuing conversations about this to break it open and, and, and delve in because it is fascinating, isn't it, Father Boniface, that d- divine revelation through scripture has these different accounts of St. Joseph, you know, the, the angel coming to him in a dream, the, the different times, and all the things you just said. And yet in scripture, he doesn't say a word. And I, mm-hmm. I, I've often wondered, well, why doesn't it, why didn't the writers of scripture, divinely inspired as they were, reveal anything? I mean, didn't, why didn't we hear anything he had to say? That must, of course, had to have been part of the divine plan about this hiddenness you're talking about, that that too, does it not, that his silence instructs? Absolutely. And, and uh, we could say on the one hand, I mean, there are other characters in scripture who aren't recorded as saying anything, but this, uh, this observation about St. Joseph has really captured the, the heart and the imagination of the, the Catholic world. We've associated St. Joseph's silence in scripture with a real interior silence. And Pope John Paul II wrote beautifully about that in his uh, exhortation, Redemptoris Custos, the, the Guardian of the Redeemer. It's the, the longest papal teaching on St. Joseph. And he pointed out how the silence of St. Joseph gives the interior portrait of the man who carries a contemplative silence into everything that he does. And that is so instructive for us that we see the depth that he has. Of course, he did actually say things. And we can, we can point to two things in particular that he said. He had to give his vows of marriage to Our Lady. Uh, that's very important. He gave his yes to marrying her and to the mission that went together with that. Secondly, we know that he gave Jesus his name as the father of the son and told by the angel, you will name him Jesus. He's the one that would bestow the name. So if there are two words we know he said, it was yes and Jesus. And I think that that really describes so well the, uh, the whole interior portrait of, of, Jesus, of, uh, of St. Joseph, because that's, that's really his life, is uh, saying yes to God's mission and uh, saying the name of Jesus. And those are things that he can teach us to say, 
And there are things that lead us to a silence, which is not an emptiness. I think it's an important distinction to make. There's a silence that's, uh, that's a kind of airheadedness. It's a kind of em- interior emptiness that it's because I don't have anything to say. Mm-hmm. But St. Joseph's silence would be from a fullness. He had, his heart was full of love for the most beautiful woman that ever lived, the holiest woman that ever lived. His heart was full of love for the Son of God made man. And any words would kind of like spoil the moment. You know, there's, to, to try mm-hmm. to reduce some of those things to words uh, would, would ruin not, or, or would spoil the quality. And so he was able to hold the mystery beyond words. And I think that's an important distinction. And, and he can really teach us to enter into a contemplative silence, which is so full that there are no words or images that, that are left. I love how you put that because being silent does not at all for many people who actually can cultivate that. So few people do have so much noise today. And as you say, some people, some people never have an unuttered thought. And that's not, I mean, that's just saying what is, it's just really that way because there are so many platforms now that enable people to uh, blurt anything uh, that comes to mind and they do. Uh, It hardly even hits the mind before it's on that platform. Mm. But so, so we need that silence. And as you say, Father Boniface, the church doesn't go back all that far in history writing about St. Joseph. However, I love a Guardian of the Redeemer that, that, you, that you referred to, that John Paul wrote. And, and you dedicate the book about St. Joseph to um, Cardinal Rot, Rot, Joseph Ratzinger, you know, Pope, Pope Benedict, and you, his own fatherhood and him pointing to us to St. Joseph's fatherhood. And now... Uh, being the 150th anniversary year of the proclamation of St. Joseph as the patron of the universal church, Pope Francis declares this a year of St. Joseph on the feast day of, our, of the Immaculate Conception. And so the whole thing is like, it's, it was a huge wow moment when he did that on December 8th. And now we're in that year of St. Joseph. And yet, as you say, so much of the history of the church didn't, didn't even deal with St. Joseph. So we're kind of trying to catch up. Scott Hahn writes that in the book. I mean, we've needed, he said, a distinctive Josephology. And so tell us what, jo- what he means. What, what is Josephology? <laughs> well, it would be the study of St. Joseph, similar to uh, Mariology uh, or Christology, that it's a, a focus on a particular dimension of Christian theology. And, and in a way, one of the things that's interesting with all of the, the books and materials that are coming out on St. Joseph is, because you can go almost anywhere from St. Joseph, and that's the point, is you can almost construct a whole systematic theology starting from St. Joseph. He leads us into fatherhood, he leads us into the Trinity, he leads us into Christology, he leads us in all of these different terms of virtue and holiness and, uh, and mission and uh, contemplation and prayer. And you can sort of look at, you can reconstruct theology from a, a lens of, of St. Joseph. And, uh, and there are a number of interesting theological questions that surround him in terms of what the meaning of the scripture is, or how you resolve certain apparent contradictions in scripture, or what the fathers of the church said about him to gather up all of that data. So Josephology is a, is a really a study of theology with a, a particular focus or starting point on, on St. Joseph. And um, yeah, as you, as you said, there's, a, there's room for so much, as Scott Hahn pointed out, there's there's room for so much reflection that's possible. And, and that seems to be opening up in our time. I, 
you mentioned those three great popes, uh, John Paul II and, and Benedict, and now uh, Francis, three, three popes who are great Joseph lovers, I should say. Mm-hmm. And, and it's been a, a cascade with Pope Francis actually having a symbol of St. Joseph in his coat of arms. And so as, as John Paul II famously had Mary written so boldly in his coat of arms, now we have a Pope with the, the symbol of the nard, which is a symbol of St. Joseph, in, uh, especially in South America, uh, on the coat of arms of Pope Francis. He, pope Francis has written and spoken many times about St. Joseph and was inaugurated on the Solemnity of St. Joseph and now proclaims this year of St. Joseph, which I have to observe takes on a bit of a life of its own. It was unknown by anybody. I'm connected to a fair number of people who have some connections. I'm not super connected, but anyway, nobody knew that this was coming. (laughs) December 8th emerged on everybody's radar with surprise that suddenly uh, this year of St. Joseph, and I have to say, I I read almost everything because of the work I do on the radio about, from Pope Francis. He almost doesn't reference the year of St. Joseph. It's so interesting. Wow. Uh, but, but everybody else is. And so he really proclaimed this year. Uh, it's almost like St. Joseph himself really proclaimed this year through the mouth of Pope Francis. <laughs> so it's really a, a delight to be brought into this space where so many beautiful things are happening for, uh, to reveal St. Joseph to us. It, it really is. And we, those of us who pray to him and seek his intercession and <laughs> contemplate him in his quiet fatherhood, and we'll talk about that in a moment, especially in our culture today where we need that so badly, it, it, that we don't really, we, we want to hear his voice. And maybe some people feel that I did once, Father, once in the Adoration Chapel, I'm, I'm diverting because it just came to me like a bam moment. I was praying fervently. For, for uh, very good friends of uh, back when my boys were little and in grade school, and, and one of them, the, his father, was suffering some a medical condition that became very serious very fast, and having been to the I believe it was at the oratory that I brought back some very special oil, and again people don't need to you know do this, and those of us who choose to do it can do it. It's like crossing yourself with holy water when you enter church, you know whatever. But I brought back this this oil, and. I was before the, I had, I had taken it over and I gave it to my friend, his wife. And, and I, I, I just quickly explained, I, I'd like you to use this for your husband. Um, and I explained it. Then it was at the Adoration Chapel within, I don't know, Father, a day or so. And I was quite the only one there. I was quietly just kneeling there in prayer. I had, I wish I had more of these. We all do. It's a, it's a great moment, but we, you know, you, you can't make it happen. I had a moment where I just knew, knew in that moment, absolutely, that he was healed, that he was going to be healed. And I am mm. not like this. I am not like this ever. But I thought, oh, I have to go tell her. I, I, have, to go, I have to go over to their house right around the corner. So after I left the Adoration Chapel, I drove over there. And when I rang the doorbell, she came to the door, just lit up, telling me that he was healed. And so I'll never forget that. So that's, you know, mm. we, we want to wow. hear his voice. We want, we want to see with any, with God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, Mary, you know, all the saints. We want to see signs. We want to hear their voice. We want to know we're heard and, and so on. St. Joseph being so silent, right? You know, we, we want to know that he's there. And yet, isn't it's remarkable ways I personally can attest he lets you know he's there. And mm. Father, so take us through, take 
all of the listeners through your book, through the heart of St. Joseph, the chapters, because you show people, you tell people throughout the book, the ways he is there. And, and then you end each chapter with a prayer for that particular topic, steadfast in suffering, mm-hmm. then a prayer of entrustment at the end of that, on hiddenness, a prayer to hide in his cloak, in different things like that, the silence of St. Joseph. So a prayer for his fatherly care. We'll talk about these things. But, but what about the fact that it, in so many ways, he's present to us in our everyday life, more ordinary than a lot of seemingly very elusive saints. Mm, beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. And thanks for sharing that, that beautiful experience. It's, he, he is a father who provides for his children. He uh, he's, he's, uh, has a, a manly heart that is both strong and tender. And uh, he's, he's someone that we can experience in that way. And it was really what I wanted to do in writing this book, uh, through the heart of St. Joseph was to help people develop a relationship with him. And mm-hmm. that relationship always goes two ways. Of course, there's who he is. We have to come to know that, to understand that. And, and I have to say, I, you know, I do love uh, the work that the father Calloway did. He really uh, brought so much together in his consecration, mm-hmm. so much data to kind of know about St. Joseph, but in order to know St. Joseph personally, then we have to kind of arrange our own hearts. We have to make room for him in the ways that he can be present to us. And that's why I, I, I offer five pathways that we can arrange our hearts to need him in the sense that uh, we let ourselves be vulnerable so that we can experience him as a protector, cry out to him in our need, as you were describing, uh, anointing with oil that we can uh, receive from him. We can also be little so that we can experience him as a father. Little children need fathers, and God has provided for us a father in St. Joseph. That was really St. Teresa of Avila's great discovery at the loss of her own human father. She found a father in St. Joseph and then found so much more than uh, just that, but that is a starting point. And then also we can draw close to him by being like him, as we've already discussed, being hidden, When we go into hidden places, we're afraid that we're going to get isolated or lost. But when we go into hidden places, we can actually also find St. Joseph there, know that he's there, and allow him to come close, enter into those hidden places with you. He loves to be hidden with you. And then also through the path of silence, that when we silence a lot of the noise, uh, the exterior, when we cultivate a silent attentiveness in our interior, when we enter into those silent places, we can also find a closeness to St. Joseph. So those are all things we can actively do. And then the fifth chapter is something that we don't actively do, which is being afflicted. But St. Joseph is steadfast in suffering. And so he's also Mm -hmm. a comfort of the afflicted. And when we find ourselves suffering, afflicted, we can find a steadiness and and a care in St. Joseph that is uh, so, uh, so beautiful, so consoling. I was just going to say the last chapter of the book is then kind of shifting attention a little bit to how can we create an environment in which others can also experience St. Joseph? Uh, how do we create, how do we make welcome St. Joseph into our, our home, into our relationships, into our work, into our, uh, the, the environments that we live in to help others to encounter him? And I, I call that the Joseph option, drawing from, uh, 
Rodrier is the Benedict option, but then I, I propose and give a little validation that Benedict himself, I think, St. Benedict, chose the Joseph option. He was really making a, his monastery like Nazareth. Mm. And so I offer some insights into how we can do that as well. As well as prayers. The litany of St. Joseph you have at the end there of the Joseph option, chapter six, as you end the book. I love that because you list, mm. Father Boniface, the names for St. Joseph through that. And uh, it, there are so many. I mean, noble son of the house of David, light of patriarchs, foster father of the son of God, guardian of the virgin, uh, and on a head of the Holy Family. On the head of the Holy Family, before I get to it, I wanted to get to terror of demons. That's, a, that's an important one especially these days, uh, protector of the church. But, uh, but on head of the Holy Family, Dr. Matthew Levering, it, it, among others, um, said of your book, and this is so important, others have said this too about your book, that, but he said particularly, if Catholics today are to advance beyond our fallen experience, and that we are at that, of wounded fatherhood, whether our own or that of our fathers, including our spiritual fathers, we will need to draw close to the obedience, patience, and perseverance of St. Joseph. Talk about that for a moment, the importance of St. Joseph as a, the strong father figure, full-hearted man, you call him in, in the book, among many things, the need right now to heal fatherhood and to uh, lift it up and edify fatherhood and support it and bolster it in our world again, because so much brokenness goes back to fatherlessness. So St. Joseph's fatherhood is very important in this. Yeah, and, and I think that's one reason we can imagine, propose that he's really being lifted up today. I think the, um, both the crisis in fatherhood and then also the crisis in the family. You know, the, the emphasis on, on Mary and Jesus is, is obviously very important, and that's been a primary emphasis throughout the church from the beginning. Mary as the center of the church and the one who receives her son receives God's revelation fully. But Mary and Jesus are not a family. Mary, Jesus, and Joseph are a family. And God redeems us through the family. So I think having a family, first of all, front and center, not just Mary and Jesus, but Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And then also, as you, as you say, Sheila, the importance of fatherhood, that St. Joseph is He's not the, uh, the, the third wheel or the stooge of the Holy Family. Sometimes he's been portrayed that way, and I don't really appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate the humor that's trying to be elicited in, in uh, good humor. But, uh, but anyway, he's not the stooge of the Holy Family. He's the head of the Holy Family. And that's what God does as well, is put a man who's uh, certainly not divine, uh, Jesus is divine, and Joseph is the head of Jesus. That's, our, that's a, already a great mystery. <laughs> But mm -hmm. uh, in, in the position of fatherhood, he leads his family, he holds his family together, he forms his son in his humanity, and is able to love tenderly, but also strongly. He's able to rise by night and take his family to Egypt to transport his business in some way, to provide for his family, to endure the difficulties of the travel. He's able to hear God and to lead his family faithfully. He does that in obedience and patience and perseverance. He does that in humility and, uh, and also a real contemplative heart of prayerfulness. He really gives us an example of what fathers can be for their families. I think the, there are a number of distortions. You know, there's the Homer Simpson fatherhood that's mm. just, just really makes fun of men, makes fun of yeah. fathers. And, 
and it's not it's not helpful it's uh no. just distorting and disturbing and it's not calling men on to be what we are able to be uh, there are brutish images of fathers who are able to fight all kinds of battles but don't have a tender bone in their body in order to have some sensitivity towards their sons or towards their daughters who aren't able to cultivate uh, the life of little ones, but are just sort of brutishly outward focused. And then we have these overly sensitive depictions of fathers who don't have a, a muscle in their body, who aren't able to fight any battles or able to have any energy to, uh, to, to battle the demons uh, on the spiritual realm or to, to battle the, the very secular uh, opponents that we face these days either. So I think the restoration, getting the, the right tone of fatherhood is something that's so critical in our day. And certainly St. Joseph is, uh, is the one to look to. He's the one that God the Father chose and gave the grace to, to be the perfect father to form the humanity of his own divine son. So we're going to find in St. Joseph the, the image of fatherhood that we need to cultivate again today. Oh, amen. Today, especially right now, especially, which is why Father Donald Calloway himself said, you know, now is the time of St. Joseph. And I've personally felt that way for a long time, but I know what he means. It keenly right now, it's keenly important right now at this moment in our church and our culture, we need to, again, bolster fatherhood. We need to honor fatherhood, build it up and promote it and so forth in the family. It's the moment for the family. Father Boniface, I, I know I, I can't keep you very long, a few more minutes, but just uh, if even, if you, if you have to go, let me know. But I, I, I want to get back to that litany and a couple of things in it. I myself invoke a lot. I, I love the whole litany, but I love. I myself invoke uh, Saint Joseph as patron of travelers. I'm not sure that's even in the lit that litany, but he has so many titles, and that's one of them. Patron of travelers. Uh, in traveling, I always invoke him, and then uh, patron of the family. Certainly that. Um, patron of a happy death. If I know, if it's someone mm. in my whole entire, you know, larger family or someone I know might be on that threshold. Patron of a happy death is very important. I invoke him for those and terror of demons. Pray tell, Father Boniface, how did St. Joseph get the title Terror of Demons? You know, Sheila, first of all, I want to say how much, how, how touched I am by your personal devotion to St. Joseph. I, I love that oh. you, you know him through these ways. I mean, you really know him and, and his goodness towards the dying and his help along the way and uh you know and certainly his love and fostering of the family it's just just beautiful i, I want our mm -hmm. listeners to hear your you know this is incarnated devotion so we don't want to keep all these things at the level of abstract ideas so um mm -hmm. but yeah the, uh, the the title terror of demons you know it's I don't know where it came from. I was kind of hoping to discover from Father Calloway where it came from. It's so interesting. And it captures everybody's attention. I don't think there's an interview that I've had that somebody had that hasn't been asked about this title, The Terror of Demons. It's, it's so fascinating. And, you know, I think we can look at that in some different ways. But uh, one being, and I think Father Calloway brings out, the, the image of fatherhood. Ultimately, the demons hate the father. Uh, that's who they rebelled against. And so there, there's uh, St. Joseph's embodying of fatherhood. And he's, he's not the incarnation of the father. However, he is the shadow of the father. He is the father's image in some way in, in being the, the, the human father, the foster father of, of Jesus, the son of God. So 
I think fatherhood is something that drives the demons nuts. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to help restore fatherhood in our time. And I think also, you know, if you think of the things that terrify you, one of the things that terrify you is the thing that you don't know about. It's in the sense that when you walk into a pitch black room, we all our imagination goes wild about all the things that could be hiding in the darkness. And for the demons, St. Joseph is like that. And I, I like the image of the cloak of St. Joseph. It's his cloaking device. He flies under the radar and the demons don't know how to find him. And that's the, the insight of, of Ignatius of Antioch, who said that mm. the marriage of Joseph and Mary is what hid the Holy Family from the devil who was looking for a virgin, not for a married woman. Oh, and wow. Of course, she was a virginal married woman, but, but it's the marriage that, that created the cloak, the veil over the Holy Family. Because the devil can't see in the order of grace. Uh, so he misses, you know, all of these uh, holy sh- uh, shimmers fly- coming from the holy family. But, but St. Joseph hides things. He hides things, you know, when Herod is raising up an army, St. Joseph disappears by night. And, and he's always disappearing with the holy family, hiding them from view. And I think that terrifies the devil. We see how, how wild Herod goes certainly inspired by the devil when the magi are the ones who tip him off that the child has been born and he flies into a rage and that's the devil's rage at the hiding power of saint joseph so i think that's how saint joseph also terrorizes the demons he has a way of hiding us and and keeping us safe from the enemy well the world has a great abundance of unfortunately there is an abundance of evil afoot these days father a lot of the books that i see coming out from the different publicists i'm in touch with there there are like three separate topics that there seem to be an abundance of books coming out about one of them is certainly about the devil and evil and and, and evil in our lives evil in the culture evil in the world and that it's so important not to shy away from that, not to turn away from that, not to reject it, or even, even deny it. Oh, laughingly, yeah, right, you Catholics believe in the devil, not even maybe all the Catholics do, but yeah, well, wouldn't that be the first thing the devil would want for us not to believe that he exists? But anyway, I love that St. Joseph is that. I have long invoked him for that uh, um, mm. for many occasions, just because among those other things I said, because that's so powerful. Because people are so, you're right, we're human and we're afraid of evil. And so we should not be afraid of evil if we're, if we're in a state of grace and, and, you know, and praying always. But wow, having St. Joseph as that patron of many things, including being a, a terror of demons, and he can protect us. You've, you've written, Father Boniface, about his protection right up front in the book. So there's a lot to go through in your book more. I hope we can have further conversations soon in this year of St. Joseph. But right now, before I let you go, people listening who might not have, who are really intrigued by all this and think, wow, I just never even think of St. Joseph, or I really don't know St. Joseph. Besides reading your book, Father Boniface Hicks, Through the Heart of St. Joseph, what would you suggest people do to start just getting to know Joseph along with your book, but as they go about their day, maybe driving, maybe at home doing the laundry when you have time to Mm -hmm. think, what should people do? I love the ask that question. I have to say from my own experience, I started on this journey, I don't know, 17 years ago just realizing I didn't really know St. Joseph and I wanted to. And so I just said a little prayer to him. St. Joseph, I don't really know you. I want to. Please help me to know you. And 
he has a way of putting things in, in place, putting things in our, in our path then to, to share himself with us. So I would encourage that as a starting point, just to, to ask him. I think that the, the litany prayer, and there are some other uh, prayers in the, in the book, but you can find a lot of things online as well. The, the prayer of Leo the 13th is one mm-hmm. that's especially highlighted this year. Uh, Ad, Ad te Beate Yosef, uh, something like that. And he, uh, you know, so saying, saying a little prayer to him, a uh, little invocation to him. Sometimes we have that Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, I love you, save souls. You know, the, uh, just those little expressions of love and tenderness, turning to him, asking for his help. I think that's the starting point. And then starting to, to press into, you know, reading a little bit, reflecting. Of course, the first two chapters of Matthew's gospel and Luke's gospel are where we find the bulk of our scriptural information about St. Joseph. And I'd encourage meditating on those chapters and trying to imagine what that that perfect father is like that we, that we meet there in those, those passages in scripture. Oh, that's such good advice. There are so many ways, but the ways you suggest are excellent. There are things for, for, for those who can just tool around online and look for different websites. Those are there. A lot of things, prayers to St. Joseph, people can do a search engine, uh, search for prayers to St. Joseph, the Litany of St. Joseph, certainly get Father Boniface Hicks' book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. There are many prayers in there at the end of every chapter. I love that you end with that. Each chapter, something related to that chapter's theme, suffering, patience, protection, things like that. Ending the book with the Litany of St. Joseph is absolutely perfect. And St. Joseph, so here we are, St. Joseph of the Worker. So May 1st, whenever people are listening to this, and then May 19th, two big St. Joseph feast days. St. Joseph the Worker is important. That work the Catholic Church teaches, Father Boniface, as you know and I know, the dignity of work, the dignity of labor, and rightly ordered how we understand work and so forth. St. Joseph is such a model of that, right? In the We think in the carpenter shop, but I mean, he did many things we imagine uh, besides building and honing and, and so forth. But St. Joseph, the worker feast day, May 1st, and his, his, uh, his big feast day, May 19th, they're both big. These are big days to really go to Joseph. And that's b- biblical too, right? Go to Joseph. Yeah, that's right. Drawn from the patriarch in the Old Testament. And just to, I know you meant uh, March 19th, but just not to confuse our listeners. You said yes, May, May 19th. Oh, I'm sorry. You <laughs> know what? You're on a roll I, with May 1st I'm on a and roll. May 19th. Yeah. Well, <laughs> there is, in fact, um, so that's, there's, that's a 40 day, that's part of uh, the, the consecration of St. Joseph. Yeah, I, yeah, of all things, I hear I have this devotion to St. Joseph and I said May 19th. March 19th is big feast day of St. Joseph. May 1st is big day, feast day of St. Joseph. So St. Joseph the worker on May 1st. And I love that the Catholic Church instituted that and we all should um, honor St. Joseph, celebrate that. Get to know St. Joseph better and you help us with your book, Through the Heart of St. Joseph. Father Boniface Hicks, thank you again. God bless you for all you do. Thank you, Sheila. So nice to be with you. God bless you. Well, that's all for now, but only for now. There's plenty more to cover and engage. I hope you'll stay with me and invite others to join the conversations here in the forum.